Well, while we're worshiping, uh, after all what the Hoppings have been through over the course of several months, it's, a, it's great to see uh, Paul up there leading us in worship, isn't it? <laughs> Let's pray again. Uh, Lord, give us all ears to hear the words of Jesus in your word this morning. Uh, may our minds understand, and even more than that, may our hearts receive. Uh, show each one of us the truth about ourselves that we might know how Jesus' words speak to us. Help me to teach, rightly and as well as I can. Help the hearers to discern and to hold on to what is good. And may your Holy Spirit use all of it as an instrument to do what only you can do by your transforming power and grace that brings life where there was none and makes beautiful and holy and good what has been made ugly and defiled by sin. And Lord, we pray in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Well... Amazingly, at least it's amazing to me, the efficacy of prayer has been much in the news this past week. Uh, efficacy, is, you know, that's a, it's a theological kind of a word, you know, we all have to have our own special language so we can tell who's in and who's out. And but uh, it's a, you know, it's a word, efficacy, you'd expect to see that, you know, the efficacy of prayer, you know, like that be a subject in a, or topic in a theological, theological journal about, uh, about prayer, or uh, maybe even the title of a sermon series or, or something like that. It basically means effectiveness. It's kind of an inside baseball word. It means effectiveness, the effectiveness of prayer, but the, uh, the efficacy of prayer, which is how I would, you know, like what was taught about it, uh, has been much challenged this week for everybody, not just in, in, inside the church or inside a church study or anything. On the heels of the church shooting last Sunday in Texas, took the lives of 26 people, as you know, probably, um, including... Just what a what an atrocity! The the shooting of crying babies, point blank range. Um, the national response has been predictable in all respects, as far as I can see. On the one hand, lots of thoughts and prayers, right? Lots of thoughts and prayers, as in. Our thoughts and prayers are with the victims and their families. Lots of that, right? And that offended a good many other people who find thoughts and prayers a poor substitute for doing something to prevent such atrocities, especially those in government who are in a position to pass legislation. 
They say it's a cop-out for some people to put on a sad face and say thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers, when they could do something to keep these kinds of things from happening, but they just refuse to do it. So they say thoughts and prayers. Well, I th- we have to admit that the Bible itself is critical of thoughts and prayers as a substitute for doing something about what we say we have thoughts and prayers about. Can you, can you, does the verse come to mind to you? Thoughts and prayers a poor substitute for doing something? Well, it's in James. You know, Luther would call it the straw epistle. <laughs> if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm, be filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? It's a rhetorical question, of course. The answer is, it's no good. It's no good at all. And go in peace, be warm, and be filled is a really great example of thoughts and prayers. You know, we're thinking of you, thinking good thoughts, uh, uh, part positive thoughts, part implied prayers. Now, at this point, having said that, at this point, I have in mind a sermon, not a political speech. And I want to steer away from the issue of whether passing new laws or voiding old ones or, you know, whatever. You could fill in the blanks here. Would actually prevent atrocities like what happened in a little church in Texas. And I'm going to ask you to take that part of it and set it out of your mind. Just I'm going to do it and you do it for now, for now. It's a big question, but set it aside. Instead, I want to focus on what is being said about prayer in its essence, uh, its efficacy in any or all situations, its effectiveness, whether it works or not, does it do anything or not, because the critics of prayer are not confining their criticisms to those who in their view could could make all these kinds of events uh, disappear or largely or be be lessened but it have expanded it to those who simply pray an actor that i'm a little proud of myself for not knowing who this is at all <laughs> not being familiar with his work i feel good about myself for not knowing who the who this particular actor is but just to establish the point he this person wrote the murdered victims were in a church if prayers did anything they'd still be alive that's not about what politicians are doing right or not doing if they, they, the murdered victims were in a church, if prayers did anything, they'd still be alive. I mean, do you, do you see the sh- shift? It's not just the James 2, don't just pray, do something. It's not that. It's, well, and I think it's probably fair, what an empty, vain, silly useless thing to do to pray another actor and and this one i i'm not using names because that's not the point but i am familiar with this one it's probably not my credit i feel a little bad about myself for knowing this particular actor 
he, he wrote, they were in a church. They had the prayers shot right out of them. Maybe try something else. Same idea. If there was any power in prayer at all, surely people actually praying at the time would not have gotten shot. Here's another. Uh, someone whose name most of you would probably know. Prayers and thoughts don't seem to be working. Here's another. They were praying when it happened. They don't need our prayers. In other words, if prayers weren't doing any good then when it was happening, why should they do good now after it's happened? Here's another. To all those asking for thoughts and prayers for the victims in the church shooting, shooting, it seems your direct line to God is not working. That's not about legislation, is it? Clearly your prayers aren't working if a mass shooting can take place in a church. Here's another one who's someone else you might know. If you watch cable news, stop saying thoughts and prayers. The victims were in a house of prayer, and that didn't protect them. Now every one of those quotes I read came from people that you may have seen on television, or you may have heard perform as an entertainer, or, on the, or you heard them on the radio, or you, you maybe some of them you maybe even voted for or against. And I don't and I don't cite these people that that you know you would see on TV and and things because of any uh, any particular uh, credibility that should be go to no, well-known people or celebrities. You know, you and I both know some of the most ignorant people in the country are well-known grotesquely overpaid celebrities. <laughs> so I don't, I don't say it just just to, because they have some credibility. I just say that I've taken these quotes from people who are in some way kind of cultural leaders, uh, high-influence people, big platform people, and that I've avoided pulling things just from like the, the, the trolls on the Internet, you know, the comment section on, the, on articles. I've avoided those which are even more hateful. These are all people that have high-influence jobs and people that people like us would know their names or recognize their faces. Uh, we, we live in, in a remarkable time, really. Uh, when, I was, when I was coming up as a Christian... My sense of things was that, you know, I'm talking about in the mid-70s, early 80s, 74 is when I became a believer. Uh, My sense was that Christians had to go to a little trouble to stir the wrath of unbelievers against it. You know, you had to go pick at an abortion clinic, or or not pick it, but maybe even just stand on the sidewalk and pray. You know, you had to be out there, you had maybe... Maybe go to a city council meeting and advocate for a return of, of a prayer to the public schools or you know a morning prayer time. You had, to, you had to go to some trouble. Today, all you have to do is be an ordinary Christian. You don't have to go to any trouble at all. Just, in some cases, just abstain from sin. Uh, 
just get caught believing what Christians have always believed. Just a witness, particularly with boldness. Maybe particularly at work. Uh, just and, and now, all you have to do is pray. Or say that you pray. Or say that you will pray. Or say that you have prayed. Everyone in this room who's old enough to kind of follow what I'm saying can remember a time when it was completely uncontroversial to say something like, you'll be in my prayers. Or, I'm praying for you. Or saying something that includes the phrase, thoughts and prayers. And practically all of the well-known people now criticizing thoughts and prayers have themselves used the same phrase in recent years past, particularly the politicians. Something bad has happened, they say, our thoughts and prayers are with you. You know, the, the Internet is forever. You know, everything, everything you say now is recorded in the cloud and it can come back to haunt us. And, and in fact, not so long ago, the phrase thoughts and prayers had an inclusive ring to it. It, it was a, uh, pra- you know, prayers for the religious folk, thoughts for the irreligious. We're not making a distinction between religious folks and not religious folks. Thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. If you don't believe in thoughts, you can have, pr- you know, you don't believe in prayers, you can have good thoughts. You know, you know, if you're a praying type, you can do that. But now, both thoughts and prayers for the suffering are falling under ridicule, but especially the prayers. So the moral landscape is changing fast. The ground is shifting under our feet, isn't it? Morally? What was completely uncontroversial just a few years ago has become highly controversial. Some cases, uh, good and evil have, re- have switched places in some, in some aspects. And, and it isn't very encouraging, is it? <laughs> it isn't very encouraging. And if we're honest, we feel the sting of prayer's inefficacy sometimes. We, too, wonder why God let the bad thing happen. Not just in Texas, in our own lives. Big things, little things. We, we too, wonder why God sometimes does not answer our prayers, especially in the way that we had asked. We can understand why God didn't let us win the lottery if you prayed that. <laughs> but sometimes we think, why did not God answer that prayer? It wasn't selfish. It wasn't, you know, why that one? How could that not be God's will for Him to answer that prayer? And we lose heart. 
A few months ago in the adult Sunday school class, we watched a debate between a Muslim apologist, I can't remember his name, and a, and a young Christian apologist, Nabil Qureshi, young, articulate, bright, energetic, best known for his book, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, A Devout Muslim Encounters Christianity. And, and the title tells his story. <laughs> About a year and a half ago, he was diagnosed with stomach cancer. Here was his announcement to his Facebook followers. This is an announcement that I never expected to make, but God in his infinite and sovereign wisdom has chosen me for this refining, and I pray he will be glorified through my body and my spirit. My family and I have received the news that I have advanced stomach cancer, and the clinical prognosis is quite grim. Nonetheless, we are going to pursue healing aggressively, both medical and miraculous, relying on God and the fact that he is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And he prayed for healing, as did many others on his behalf. You, you, you can actually watch a YouTube video of him praying from his hospital bed. You, you can, if you can bear it. <laughs> Because it's heartbreaking. For, and he's, fervent prayers. Fervent prayers. Uh, biblical prayers. Reason prayers. Faith-filled prayers. Asking for continued life, uh, but also submissive to whatever God's will may be. Two months ago, September, he died. 34 years old, leaving behind a wife and a two-year-old daughter. And so, here's the question, it comes to mind, it, you, you can't help, it can't help but come to mind. Why did God not let him continue this, his really remarkable ministry? In, in ways that he was, he was almost, it seemed like, uniquely equipped in his background, in his conversion story, in his, in his sharpness, in his, uh, you know, his ability to speak and, and persuade, in his mind, his heart. Why did he not let that continue? Why did God not let that continue? Why, why did God allow a situation that's opened the way for some Muslims, I won't say all, but some Muslims to turn him into an example of what happens to when you convert from Islam? What does Allah do when you convert from Islam? And make, Why did God allow a situation where he becomes a poster child for that, which is exactly what is happening? Why is this young wife, apart from that, the ministry, the big thing, uh, why, why is his young wife left to raise a daughter who will not remember her father? And how, how disheartening. Why, how do we keep praying 
Why do we keep praying? We're going to read the first part of Luke 18. You can put it up now, but I, but I encourage you to turn to it as, as well, because we'll, after that's off the screen, you'll want to look at some of these verses again. And he, this is Jesus, of course, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth or on earth? Now, as far as how to understand this parable, you can take it down, Wayne. As far as, far as how to understand uh, this parable of the Lord Jesus, there's, there's something here that is really, really helpful to us, and, uh, and there's something here that's, that's kind of a difficult for, difficulty for us and an obstacle to our understanding. The, the helpful thing is that we are told in the text the lesson we're to get from this. We're told what we're to take out of it. Here's what we're supposed to get out of it, that we ought always to pray and not lose heart. Boy, oh, this wouldn't it be a wonderful thing, and this is not the case, but wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if every parable in the Gospels were accompanied either before or after or during by an authoritative statement in the Word of God itself that this is what you're supposed to get out of this. You know, you cannot believe the energy that's been expended, the trees that have been cut down, the ink that has been spilled explaining parables and what are we supposed to get out of it, how much we're supposed to get out of it, because there's no statement like this about what we're supposed to get out of it. But with this one, we do get the application that God intends for us to get out of it. We ought always to pray and not lose heart. And that's a very helpful thing. And by, and by the way, we're to pray and not lose heart, and the, and the clear implication is, and not falter in our prayers because of our having lost heart. So that's very helpful here. We don't get this all the time. We know exactly what we're supposed to get out of this passage. We ought always to pray and not lose heart. Now the difficult thing in here is that this is what I've seen called a parable of contrast or a how-much-more kind of argument that just seems strange to the modern mind. It sounds strange to the modern ear, uh, modern reader, readers. It's, it's a lesser-to-greater argument so extreme that in many respects the lesser and the greater appear as absolute opposites. And if we don't understand that, if we don't get that, because that's not the way we would argue. 
that's a com- that's a comparison that we would avoid. You know, it's so they're so different, we would avoid it. That's not the way modern people typically talk or typically argue. We wouldn't. You hear it sometimes, but we really, honestly, wouldn't argue this way in some. You know, in most in most cases. And if you don't get that here, you can get an absolutely wrong idea from this parable. And here, here's the where how we'd get it wrong. If we compare where Jesus intended a, a contrast, here's what you might get out of the passage, and it's exactly the wrong idea. Like the unjust judge, like the unrighteous judge, God doesn't know you. He's not concerned about your problem. He, he doesn't care that you've got no one else to help in the, in the case of this Widow, she doesn't have a husband to, who might advocate for her, who might stand up for her. So, because of all that, you've got to wear him down in prayer. <laughs> you've, you've got to just overcome his reluctance. You've got to overcome his unconcern so that he'll eventually do what you ask just to get you out of his hair. <laughs> Just to get you to stop coming with this request, you have to hammer and hammer away at him till he'll do just about anything just to shut you up about it. The English Standard Version that I'm reading that was on the screen, it says, it says he feels like she's beating him down. Uh, if you use New American Standard, if you have New American Standard, it says she, he's wearing him out. She's going to wear me out. NIV says the judge feels like he's under attack. And the Greek, the Greek there is actually a boxing term. I have a little bit of boxing in my background, golden gloves in, in the high school years. It was a long time ago. <laughs> I knocked at my high point of my boxing career, such as that it was, I... I knocked a kid out in practice one time, and for a week, I walked around the hallways of Oak Ridge High School like I was daring anyone to mess with me, <laughs> bumping shoulders in the hallways with football players and other extra-large young men who could have killed me if they had been bothered to do it. <laughs> but God was good to me, and none of them did. But, you know, I did learn some things about boxing. And one of the things I learned, that if you go in there looking for a knockout punch with every swing, trying to knock the guy out every, with every swing and reaching, you know, reaching way back and, and, uh, and really trying to knock him out with every swing you take, uh you're going to lose. <laughs> one way or another, you're going to lose. And you, one of the ways, you probably get knocked out yourself. You've got, to, you've got to punch and punch and punch with blows that aren't meant to knock him out, but to wear him down, uh, to, to weaken him. You know, body blows. You're not going to knock anyone out with a body blow, but it has its effect over a number of rounds. 
little jabs, you wear them down, you weak. You know, it really is, it really is just like those video games, boxing video games. I don't know if they still go this way, but fights where the, you got the little life bar that goes down, you know, and every blow you take takes a little bit out of you, and it gets down to the end, and then something's coming. Next thing you know, you're on your back, and you're looking at all the pretty lights on the ceiling. <laughs> In the parable, the unrighteous judge says, this woman has... This is the imagery. She's worn me down over the rounds. And he, he literally said, this would be the way you could, you could literally translate it. She's about to give me a black eye. And following the, the logic of the imagery, she set me up for the knockout. She's, I'm, gonna, I'm throwing in the towel before, before that happens. I'm going to say no mas. <laughs> no mas like Roberto Duran against Sugar Ray Leonard, 1980. It's not in the Greek, by the way. It's not in the Greek. But that's it. She said, I'm saying no mas. But if you see comparison where Jesus intends contrast... You may think, as I said, you have to pound away at God in prayer. You have to wear him down. You have to lower his, his resistance. You've got to come out of the corner every time the bell rings until he finally says, All right, all right, all right, I'll give you what you want. No mas, no mas. I quit. You win. And if you get anything like that, if you get anything like that out of this little parable you've misunderstood jesus entirely jesus is actually arguing this way although it sounds strange to our ear we probably wouldn't make this kind of argument he's saying if an unrighteous judge who does not fear god who does not know you it doesn't want to know you it doesn't care about you or anyone else doesn't care that you've been treated unjustly even if even a person like that eventually responds to appeals for whatever his reasons are how much more will god respond to you god who does know you who does love you who's not a stranger to you but already your father by adoption who does care about you, who's intimately acquainted with the wrongs you've suffered or are suffering now. He's not indifferent to them. He vindicates the righteous. He breaks the yoke of our oppressors. Who knows our needs before he, we even ask. Who has blessed us, not us borrowing from the, the epistles, not Jesus, but who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. How much more will he hear our prayers and answer us according to his good and gracious and sovereign will? So keep on praying and do not lose heart. Even when you've been asking for a long time, even when you just do not understand why God has not answered the prayer so far in the way that you've in the way would you would order things if you could. Paul, Paul up here referenced Psalm 22. 
these verses. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, and in you they trusted and were not put to shame. Well, you know how, that's the fourth, yes, that's the fourth verse, fourth and fifth. You know how that psalm starts? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy and thrown on the praise of Israel, and you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted you, delivered them to you. They cried and were rescued to you. In you they trusted were not put to shame. Remember that even Jesus, well, who said these words from the cross, but before the cross at Gethsemane, he prayed, Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Now, now there's one last thing to consider here in Luke, eight, in, uh, Luke 18. And it's the last sentence in the parable. Into verse 8. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? What a strange statement in this context. You know, you, you, you know what's going on here? Is he changing topics? <laughs> Is he changing topics? I thought we were talking about prayer. And now we're talking about the state of faith in the world when Jesus returns. Well, no, it's not a new topic, of course, but something directly related. At the time for Jesus' return, when the the time of Jesus' return approaches, faith in the living and true God will be at low ebb. And the low ebb faith will be reflected in lack of prayer. A true faith in the Lord will not be dominant. It won't be widespread. In fact, it'll be uncommon, even rare. Uh, We had something like this a few weeks ago where, where Jesus says, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. So as the time of when Jesus' return approaches, love will be in short supply, and faith will, here in Luke 18, faith will be in short supply, and will be reflected in uh, the prayers losing heart and not praying. And that's the connection. So if you think that the time of Jesus' return is drawing near, and there are plenty of reasons to think so, without, without well, recognizing that only the Father knows the day or the hour, For example, Israel is in the land, remains a hot spot for international conflict, as seems required by the unfulfilled prophecies of what's coming in the future. Uh, Jesus said lawlessness will increase and the love of many will grow cold. Well, these seem to be pretty great days for both hatred and lawlessness. <laughs> Daniel says there will be unprecedented travel and Knowledge will be increased. Certainly seems to describe our own day. 
did not describe the world a hundred years ago. Jesus said many false prophets will arise and deceive many. We've got them. Jesus said persecution of his people would be widespread. Paul said that self-identifying Christians will not be able to endure sound doctrine, but will turn to teachers who will tickle their ears and make them feel good about themselves. That's 2 Timothy. Most of us think most of us think we can think of some pretty famous names as very successful ear-tickling preachers. <laughs> so there are lots of indicators that seem to be warning us or encouraging us that the judge is standing right at the door. And one of the things we should watch for, therefore, if you think that we're in that kind of a time, good reasons to think so, is to watch for the ebbing, the weakening, the withering of love and faith in our own lives, in our own homes, in our own churches. And we have to guard them, right? Our love, we have to grow it, our love, our faith, nurture them, grow them, because the pressures against them have never been greater. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And in this context, the lack of faith shows in the lack of prayer. If you think you have much faith, but don't pray much, I don't see how you get anywhere, I don't see how we can get around this passage other than to say we're kidding ourselves about the much faith. You know what the premise is behind the ridicule of prayer. Here's the premise behind it. There is no God. That's the premise. And of course, it would be useless, empty, vain, nothing to pray to a God who does not exist. I've got a non-Christian relative who loves me and who has written to me, you know, with my diagnosis and everything, has written to me these words. I think I remember verbatim. Sending good thoughts your way. And I, I appreciate the sentiment, but there's also inwardly I'm thinking, so how does that work? <laughs> Sending good thoughts my way? Uh, you know, I don't think it's going to work. <laughs> how, how can it work? So in, in, if there's no God, it would be the same thing. If there's no God, then praying to Him wouldn't work any better than sending good thoughts. But there is a God in heaven who loves us, who cares for us, who hears our prayers, who gives good gifts to his children and is an ever-present help in time of need. So here's the, it's a simple passage. Here's a simple application. Pray. And pray some more. And pray all the time. And pray about the things that concern you and the, and the things that uh, concern others. 
and don't lose heart and stop praying so much or stop altogether and don't stop because it's been it seems like it's been a long time of praying and don't lose heart because people who don't know God don't see the use of it and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart Uh, Lord increase the faith of the believing here thank you for this indicator of the strength of our faith in our practice of prayer use the word of the Lord in these verses that we've thought about considered today to strengthen the weak knees uh, to encourage the discouraged that they may pray at all times and not lose heart give us strength to be strong and stronger still in prayer equal to the inner pressures of doubt and weariness and equal to the growing outward pressures of ridicule from outside give the beginnings of faith to any who do not believe that believing they may have life and hope through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ we pray in his name amen